Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, Charlton fans, to another episode of Brownie and Benji. I wish we had happier things to talk about this week, but sadly, defeat to Peterborough and last night's very disappointing 2-2 draw with crew means that it's a very somber brownie today that I'm joined with. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. We always have fun. We'll have fun anyways, but excited to be joined by Steve Brown. How are you doing today, Brownie? Very well, Benji. Not too down, actually. I mean, it was last night was a blow, but we didn't play well enough. And Saturday, I thought second half, we deserved something from the game. So, uh, not too downbeat. Still in our hands, I believe, isn't it? If we, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough ask to win the last mm. three games on paper. I mean, on paper, they're tough, tough games. Even Saturday, which everyone thinks, oh, Accrington, it's a tougher game than you think. They're not a bad side. But no, I'm going to take, uh, take out a leaf uh, out of Nigel's book, and I'm going to stay nice and positive. Um, because it's still been a very, very good run. Mm. You know, I know I know a lot of supporters will be disappointed with the last two matches, one point, you know, from, from a possible six. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've had a good push there to put us in a position where we're fighting for playoffs. And I think mm. if you go back a couple of months, we kind of didn't think we were going to get there. Um, so, you, you know, I... I can understand the disappointment and the frustration, maybe, because of the last two results. But mm-hmm. I think the form has been very good. The performances have been very good. And last night's was just a, a complete flat one where we, we just didn't reach the levels we've been pushing ourselves to in recent weeks. Yeah, as you said, it's, it's, it's one win in 12. And on paper, that obviously looks very good. Unfortunately, the, the one point in two games does mean it'll be a harder battle for Charlton now to get into the playoffs. But as you said, still in their hands. We might as well go back a couple of days and chat about that Peterborough uh, defeat, first of all. Because as you said, you know, it was an interesting game. It was, it was very different from the draw last night. And obviously, they actually got a point from the one last night, whereas against Peterborough, they got nothing. But I thought that Charlton played quite well, at least for large parts of that Peterborough game. They were pegged back. They're obviously a very good team. They were mostly just defending their box. And while Charlton didn't test the keeper too many times, they had a lot of decent play, a lot of good possession. They just couldn't quite create that chance. But, uh, yeah, your, your thoughts in general on that one, Brownie? Yeah, I, you know, for, for whatever reason, there's a couple of things this season that, that don't sit quite well. And it's not, it's not a criticism as much. It's more an observation. We don't start games particularly well. And our home form, as everybody knows, I don't not no revelation here. It's on paper. It's just not where it should be. Um, and on Saturday, the start was the killer. Now I thought we started poorly, really poorly against Ipswich Town and really poorly against Plymouth, and we didn't concede a goal. Um, they were on top for those for, for the first. Well, Ipswich were on top for quite a long period, probably 20, 25 minutes. Plymouth about fifteen, um, and we recovered. We stayed in the game. We didn't concede. But unfortunately, on Saturday, I don't know if it was about us starting poorly, actually. I, I, I just think Peterborough came out the blocks. They got beat in the week by Gillingham. They knew that they needed to correct that result. And they just came out the blocks like a greyhound out the trap. Boof. And they put us on the back foot and got their goal. Their front three's got like 55 goals or something <laughs> between it. So it's a very threatening front three. And when they've got their tails up and they start like that, it's just a case of converting one of the chances they got, and they duly did. I mean, in terms of the goal conceded, it's not a great goal to concede. They had better opportunities in the game than that. Smodic's getting in off the back of Innes. Good save from Amos. Uh, Smodic's had one blocked in, in the first period as well, in that first 15-minute mm. period, I think. I think it was Piercy that blocked it. And then 
He had another shot that he raised, he, he lifted over the bar at Smodics. I thought that was a great chance. You know, so they've got players in the side that will create opportunities and they converted one in that first 15 minutes. And that turned out to be the killer blow because we huffed and puffed on Saturday. We really did. We did everything we could to try and breach that Peterborough goal. And they just stayed firm. You know, they're a good side. They're, they're, they're gunning for promotion for a reason. And I thought they were going to actually get it last night. Uh, I mm. think a bit surprised they come away with a 2-2 against Doncaster, actually. But, um, yeah, and, and unfortunately, you know, where we've managed to, to not concede when we've been on the back foot Saturday, we did. And, 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 and we just couldn't find a way to breach. But it was a good, good effort in terms of how we went about trying to get ourselves back in the game. You know, effort levels were great. They were on the back foot for large periods of the second half, counter-attacking mostly um, in, in little spates. Um, and I was a bit, not, no, disappointed is the wrong word. I, I was a bit surprised, actually. We didn't find a way to get a goal because we were really good, you know, really good. Good value for a point, I thought, Saturday. Couldn't quite get it. Last night's one was a different kettle of fish, though. You know, I was coming full of expectation. I didn't see crew being an issue last night. And they were very much the crew of old. Crew have been that way for donkey's years, where they sign players to play a certain way. You know, they have a philosophy. They've never gone away from it. But you can always bully a crew side. You can always physically get on top of crew. They, you know, you, you kind of, even, in, even when you've got a good side yourself, sometimes you have to stand back and go, OK, we can't go toe-to-toe with crew for football. They do it every day, every week. It's how they play. But what we can do, get amongst them be physical you know make sure they haven't got time and space to play and we just didn't manage that last night and and we looked flat if I'm honest there was no spark there was no player really that ignited another player mm. even um, even Jake Forster Caskey who I think has been immense for us looked low on energy last night you know so I do sympathise and, and, and from time to time that absolutely happens to every team across the season where you just have a game where you just can't get going. Simple passes are not simple anymore. You know, you come onto a ball, you play it first time and it just pings off your foot at the wrong angle. You know, and it's easy to sit upstairs and just go, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. But it was just one of those nights mm-hmm. and we still led twice. Yeah. That's the most disappointing thing is that on a poor night, we still led twice and still let them get a point out of the game and didn't see it home, particularly that, that second one. We could have dealt with that no problem at all, mm. you know, and it's, it's a shame because it would have made a world of difference. Mm, yeah, and you, you bring up a few, a few sort of mini issues that have led to this week of one point from two games uh, that, that maybe the performance has potentially deserved more, at least against Peterborough, but all the games so far under Nigel Atkins, and I, I wrote an article about this before the most recent game against Crew, where all the games so far, and maybe it's been a trend throughout the season, but Charlton have started slowly and they look like they need time to get into the game. And even despite scoring the first goal yesterday in the 10th minute, uh, Jaden Stockley header, it still it looked like they weren't quite coming to grips with the game early on those first 20, 25 minutes. Do you, it, it's hard. It's a hard one to figure out because this team should be full of confidence. They are full of confidence. So these starts, it, it shouldn't necessarily be happening. Do you have any any idea? I guess why why you feel this might be happening? Uh, yeah. I mean, if if it was me, I'd almost go the other way. So mm. if I was taking a team that was really struggling uh, to, to get going at the start, I I would actually play direct for the first ten minutes. I'd set up my team to play direct and I would just put the ball in their half 
as many times as I could. I wouldn't even ask midfielders to come and look for the ball off the back four. In fact, maybe the back four doesn't even get it off the keeper for 10 minutes. We just get up and we just pressurise for 10 minutes in their half. It goes long. It's ugly. It's horrible. Nobody wants to see it particularly. But you know what? If we've had five, ten games where we started poorly, you've got to do something sometimes that goes against the grain. And sometimes you've got to put what people say about you to one side. If they don't like direct play, if they don't want to come and pay their money and watch teams go direct, there is a reason for it for 10 or 15 minutes. And it's just so that you don't get caught cold. Mm. I mean, what I would say is we've, we've done well in respects of not starting well and not conceding. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be nice if we turned up to a game and we just hit the team hard in that first 10 or 15 minutes, went 2-0 up? It would be lovely to see. So maybe, I've played in sides where the manager's done that, where he's come and he's gone, you're not looking it off the keeper. Uh, I don't want you to play backwards. You play forwards first. And we all know that the ball's going forward. And, and, and then he whistles you up after about 10 or 15 minutes and says, right, now we can play. Now we can play. Um, and sometimes that does uh, set you off on the right path. It, it, makes you start at a tempo. The opposition can't quite settle and they never recover. If you get the goal in that period, you're dominating the game. You might not even come away from that tactic. If it's working and you're dominating and you're creating chances, you stay on that tactic. No need to change. But yeah, it's just, it's just about, I guess, everyone getting so fed up with it that, that they, they, they just try something completely different. But yeah, I... It is a hard one to explain. I've been in, I've been in teams, Benji, where we've been mm-hmm. exceptional at home. I think there was one season at the Valley where we lost one game. You know, in 23 games, we lost one. But our away form, we lost seven straight. Wow. Opening, the, the, the opening seven games with seven straight losses. And, um, uh, and it's tough to fathom. And I think Curbs tried something different in that period. I think we, we travelled to Huddersfield or something by train rather than coach just to throw out the monotony of bus, lose, bus home again. And, uh, and we won. So sometimes just, just changing the cycle a little bit. But yeah, I, I, you know, what, what comes to me there quickly after the, you've asked the question is, is just look to play forward quickly. Hit the front man. Hit, hit, even hit a wide player, you know, but just play forward and play in their half for 10 minutes. And, don't, and, and, and if you're going to go backwards, go backwards from their half. So when you're going backwards to your centre-halves, it's on the halfway line or 10, 10 yards into your own half, not on the edge of your box. Mm. It sounds really simple, you know, but it can be quite effective. Um, but it means, it means you're watching quite direct football for huh. 10 or 15 minutes as a spectator. But, yeah. you, you know, when you're, when you're trying to find a way to get promoted, when you're trying to find a way to stop something that's become a bit of an issue, all the tactics, all of everyone's feelings go out the window. This is about winning football matches. It's mm. about getting points on the board to get promoted. And you have to put philosophies to one side. You have to put supporters' reactions to one side. You have to put players' feelings to one side. And you have to find a way to win games. And, and, and in this case, just start better. Mm. But yeah, it's a, it is an issue. Like the home form is an issue. I mentioned it on air last night with Terry and Greg. You know, what is, he's got to be sitting down, Nigel Atkins, formulating a plan. And understanding why it's happening to us. Why are we so reluctant to be on the, I mean, away from home? We look like, a, I wouldn't say a completely different side, but we do look tougher. We do look stronger. We do look more resilient. Mm. Can't explain it. Same players. 
there's really no no reason for it no reason why the home form should be so much worse I mean the only the only thing sort of at this point that I can think of is that it's become a psychological block in some of the players heads where they know that the home form has been so bad so they're almost expecting to play worse at home which I mean it, it sounds a bit silly because you know this team should be flowing with confidence that they've been on a great run of form just about their best run of form the whole season they've put themselves right back into the playoff race but now we've had these very important games at home and they haven't quite been able to look like the same side that they were against Plymouth or at Sunderland or even at Doncaster. And so we, we actually, we had a question uh, today off Twitter from Martin and then a follow-up question from Rachel, where Martin asked, has playing and winning at the Valley become a psychological barrier that the players appear unable to get beyond? And then Rachel added to onto that, if it is a barrier, how do they break that for the final two games at home? How do they get out of that cycle? How do they, you know, get away from everything that's been happening this season, all the poor home firm form and just try to start new for the final two games. Yeah, I think we've covered that there a little bit with the last yeah. answer in as much in as much as you try something completely different, you know, so whatever you have been trying, if it is building up from the back, if it is trying to find a midfield like Ben Watson dropping in deep to receive, ask him not to drop in and receive. Ask him, you know, maybe maybe change Ben in that respect and play somebody that's just going to get up the pitch a bit quicker. But um, it's in terms of the psychological barrier, players, I, I, I think we think a lot more about stuff than the players do. So mm-hmm. going back to my t- time in, excuse me, <coughs> going back to my time in the dressing room, I don't remember having these thoughts about, oh, woe is me, our home record's rubbish. Oh my God, we're, we're not picking up enough points. You literally are just rolling one game to the next. You go in, you train. The manager gives you, you know, what he wants uh, you to, how he wants you to prepare and, and beat your position next. You might be going over some of the things that have gone on, uh, for argument's sake, uh, last night. They might be in tomorrow. And, and, and again, we go Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. So tomorrow, you're probably not worrying about crew anymore. You're just focusing flatly on Accrington. So players don't really sit there going, oh, what, what is going on? It's the manager and the coaching staff that will sit down and go, right, what is it? How can we identify what's happening? And they will study things and they will watch the games and they'll look into the personalities they've got in the team. I said something to Curbs after the game last night about leadership. You know, and I sometimes look down at that pitch. Have we got enough leaders? Piercy looks like a leader to me. He does look like a leader, mm. someone who will point a finger. But have we got enough leaders in that side so that when it's going wrong, it self-polices a little bit? You know, it looks after itself. It's got people on the pitch that will challenge other players. That's something that maybe has drifted out of the game over the last 10, 15 years. Players challenging players on the pitch to do better. You know, organising other players, not being afraid to tell them where to go, that they are making mistakes. Mm. You know, so you need a little bit of that in your team as well. But in terms of the psychological barrier, yeah, I don't, I don't think players consciously go into the training ground going, you know, oh, home form's terrible, what can we do about it? They leave it to the manager and the staff, and it's the manager and the staff that has to try and do something that changes the, you know, the, mm. the results in, in this case. Yeah. Because, they, you know, with, with a good set of results at home, we would comfortably be in the playoffs this year. But it's something that they'll have to look at for next year. Is it style of play? Are we too deep at home? Mm. Are we nervous? There's no real reason to be nervous. There's not even a crowd in there at the moment putting you under pressure. 
the only pressure you're under at home at the moment is the pressure you put on yourself. Mm. You know, I've been at the Valley when it's been absolutely rocking. I've been at the Valley when they're on your case, right? But you're a footballer and you're expected to deal with that. You know, you're expected there are going to be days when, you know, they're on your shoulders. You can hear your name being shouted out. Stands. Mm. It's, it's, it's part and parcel of being an elite sports person, whatever mm. field you're in. People are going to show you they're not happy. People are going to show you they are happy. Uh, and it's something you have to deal with. And that side of it is very much on, on the, is, is a recruitment-based, you know. Um, Bringing you know, your Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I couldn't find the words. But yeah, it, it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly picking the right players, mm. you know, in terms of recruitment. If you get three or four that can't handle a bit of pressure, then you will see a little bit of nervousness creep into the into the side. <coughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a good point because that's actually kind of the next thing that I wanted to ask you about because obviously, you know, fans feel very nervous when they watch games. They feel the the weight of the importance of the game, certainly from a, from a watching point of view. And Charlton last night and over these last few games, it really to an extent, feels like the first time they've had a lot of pressure on them because in previous months, the, the idea of getting into the playoffs has been more hypothetical than anything else, and they've been on the outside looking in. Yeah. And then over the last week or two, it's become quite concrete, where it's become in their hands, and they've had the ability to make it into the playoffs. They still do. It still is in their hands. So from, from this idea of, oh, our goal is to get into the playoffs, and our goal, if you know, things go right, and if other teams slip up, we'll be to get into the playoffs. It's now become a case of actually we can and maybe even should get into the playoffs. Do you th- and, and they did look a bit nervous last night. Do you think, I mean, as an experience as a player, you've been in playoff races, you've been in promotion races. Do you think the players feel that nervousness at times? I mean, it's hard to say every player is different, though. I thought tonight, uh, sorry, tonight, I thought last night there was a certain amount of, of performances that, that did seem like, you can't concrete for sure say, but it did seem like, we, like for the first time in weeks, we had a couple of four out of tens out there and a couple of five out of ten, in my eyes. Mm. You know, this is my eyes only. I'm not, everyone else sees football differently. In my eyes last night, we had a couple of four out of tens and we had a couple of five out of tens. So we were carrying players. That hasn't been the case recently. Recently, we've been having sevens and eights across the board. Mm. They've been phenomenal. And I just feel like last night was a bit of crash and burn after what was a real great attempt second 45 Saturday to turn it round to get a point we sort of crashed and burned and physically we we weren't quite there and then what happens when you're physically not quite there is that technically you're not as good as you were when you're physically on top of your game so your concentration levels drop you might find yourself in the wrong position you get caught wrong side you react too late you come on to a pass it's quite a simple pass it goes out of play that affects your mentality on the next pass you might come on to another first-time ball and think, you know, you don't consciously walk up to it and think, oh, I've messed up the last one. But from some reason, your brain's a quarter of a second behind your foot, you know, and it goes out of play again. And you're thinking, right, oh, the next one, I have to find a Charlton player. And all these doubts start creeping in. It's a bit like golf. If you mm-hmm. go and play golf, I'm a keen golfer. When I start thinking about the golf swing and the shot, it's game over for me. When it's all natural and I'm just standing there swinging freely and the game's taking care of itself, great. But the minute I start slicing or hooking, I'm over the next shot thinking about it too much and it affects the mentality of your next mm-hmm. shot, the next shot. And it's only a calmness from within. It's only um, a belief in your own ability 
that you know that you can calm that down. And actually, the next pass, I'm just going to, even if it's 10 yards, I'm finding a charm player. All right, I'm going back to the keeper. I'm going to make sure that I give myself enough space away from my opponent when I'm receiving the ball that he's not going to shut me down at breakneck speed and I'm going to get caught in possession again. All those things, you've got to go back to the fundamentals that work for you, your strengths, away from your weaknesses. But last night, we, I mean, there was one, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't like pulling players out because I actually thought he was our best player last night, Gilby. But there was one, a ball fell to Gilby and he volleyed it straight up into the stands. No one around him. He had time to pull it down. No one shouted in time. No one said relax in possession. And he just followed it straight up into the stands. I thought that is most unlike him. Mm. And most unlike the team and the performance. So there was something last night that just wasn't quite right with quite a few of the players. And as I say, Gilby, I pulled Gilby out as an illustration here. And actually, I thought he was the most energetic. I really thought he put in a shift last night. He was really working hard to try and change the game and it, it, it just didn't have the support around him we didn't have enough players putting in seven out of tens did we and mm. we've done well in the end if, if I'm honest to, to, to scrape out the point I, I, you know we really did yeah, there were there were large parts of that game where crew really pegged Charlton back and Charlton were just kind of hanging on a little bit in their own box and as you said at that point maybe you know they started thinking about it too much that nervousness can creep in I did just want to touch a little bit on crew obviously they had nothing to play for in terms of the table which we saw against Plymouth can be a, an issue for these teams where if they go a goal or two three down they can start to implode but for crew it really seemed like a beneficial thing for them where they played with a lot of freedom but I, I was I was impressed to be honest with with crew I thought they played really well I thought they pass the ball well their final end product was sometimes lacking but in general they 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 moved the ball around the pitch well and they caused Charlton a lot of problems sort of looking looking towards the future it feels to me like crew in some ways could be a little bit of a blueprint for how Charlton could potentially build obviously Charlton are going to be going for hopefully going for bigger and better things than crew who being in League One in itself is, is, is a bit of an achievement. But Charlton, you know, crew are built around exciting, attacking young players who are dynamic, can really do stuff in any individual game, can put in, you know, maybe one game they'll put in a 9 out of 10, and the next game they'll put in a 4 out of 10. They're not necessarily the most consistent, but they're players with a lot of room to grow and players who, if they sell them, whether it be this summer, next summer, will be selling them for quite a lot of money. Owen Dale, I was really impressed with. Um, their, their center midfielders, I was imp- Lowry, I was, imp- I was impressed with. But it just seems like for Charlton, if they're building for next season, for me, regardless of the division they're in, it would be good to try to build around young, attacking, exciting players. I mean, young defensive players as well. Players who you can really grow as a club with. Yeah, I mean, they've got two good attacking midfielders. I thought Ainley was good as well. He got substitute in the end, but he was taking up some great positions. But Crew have been known for that for 30 years. Dario Grady walks in the building, puts a philosophy in place, and they've stuck with it. But you have to remember, Benji, um, there is no expectation levels at Crew. They're not expected to get promoted. They're not, they, they, they don't put sides together. Of course, you know, we see it from time to time with Barnsley in the Championship where there's not a great budget, the expectation levels are low, and you get a group of players that just works. And you massively overachieve, right? Which is what we're seeing at Barnsley. But by and large, it's the spenders that have the experienced players. You can have those young players, but crew are forced that way. They're forced into building a squad of young players. They're forced into producing players that they sell on to survive, mm. right? 
And there's a difference between that and putting a side together like, like they do that's energetic, it's young. They have to go young because they can't really afford to buy the, the experienced players because if they put all their eggs into one basket with an experienced player, he gets a, an injury, a, a season-long injury. They, that, that's their budget almost mm-hmm. exhausted. So they have to be a certain way, crew, and you do have to tip your cap that they've stuck with that philosophy. And it doesn't matter. I've seen them rise all the way up to the championship. I've seen them go all the way down to League Two. So they have cycles just like everybody else. But that was a good team to watch last night. But I think we gave them a right good leg up. I think we won the away game 2-0, didn't we? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, first right? game of the season. So, so, so my, my point being, I bet I haven't seen that game, but I bet if I watched it, I bet they outplayed us in that game, but I bet we just got amongst them. We got tighter. They had less space and time in possession. And we physically overpowered them and won the game. I bet you that's what happened. And I haven't seen it and I don't know, right? <laughs> it's last almost night, exactly that. That's what happened. Right. Okay. Well, last night, and that's crew. And it has been crew for decades, okay? They put, they've, they've had this blueprint. Now, Charlton is slightly different. It's got a new owner. He's, an ex- he, he's been exceptional up to this point. He, is, he will back the manager, I'm sure, again this summer. But the expectation levels are that if we can do what we can do this year with all the troubles we've had, with the salary cap, with recruitment only, you know, two or three or four weeks to recruit a side last summer. If we can, well, we're not even sure we haven't pinched a playoff place yet. But if if we were great, if we don't, you know, if we could get to the position we're in now with all that's gone on this year, the expectation levels will be over the summer when we add our players. We're a playoff side at minimum. Mm. And that brings a completely different pressure than crew. So yeah. we can't afford to have 10 kids running around because they won't get you promoted. Right? <laughs> so you've got to mix those 10 kids up with proven goal scorers, with a proven winger, with a proven centre-half. Right? Other, otherwise, you're not giving yourself a chance, in mm. my opinion. Now, you can go the other way, Benji, but there's a chance you could finish mid-table. Now, you might sell a couple of players for three or four million, but you're not going to get promoted. Now, unfortunately, I think Charlton are in a position They've got an ambitious owner. They've got, you know, they've got a, a good manager, a really positive manager. And the expectation levels are that if we don't manage it this year, they will definitely want to manage it next year. And yeah. that brings a huge pressure on everyone, including young players, experienced players, managers, coaches. You know, everybody wants to see us get out. So as much as I admire crew for what they do, they're kind of forced into it with the kind of club they are. Mm. All right, and we're, we're an ex-Premier League club that's come down a couple of divisions and we are hopefully building our way back up and unfortunately in my humble opinion I you can't do it the way crew are doing it I'd love to see us do it that way but that will take a long time and the, mm. other, the other thing Benji with that blueprint as you've quite rightly said I think Picker in the left back has been touted by Blackburn Yeah, I think, I think Dale's been yeah so Dale's going to get picked up I'll I'd be surprised if Ainley doesn't get picked up. I'd be surprised if Lowry doesn't get picked up. So the blueprint for them is great, but it's a survival blueprint. They're going to lose four or five players in the summer. And you can't just keep rebuilding, which is why they yo-yo between sort of League One, League Two. Mm. Because every time they develop a decent player, gone. They're gone. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Charlton, when they develop a player, need to give them a four-year deal and keep him on board because we don't want to lose those kind of Mm. players. We've had to sell him in previous years because... You know, our owner yeah. did what he did and, you know, and that's fine. I think some of them went far too cheaply. We really did sell off, 
players that, that, that you know that in, I think in today's market are worth a lot more than what we mm. got from. But that's that's you know that's another story. But yeah, that's that, that's how I see the difference between you know in in terms of that question is the expectation levels, particularly after where we've got ourselves this year with all the trouble and all the problems we've had are going to be that we're a promotion-winning side next year. Mm. Yeah, and I think even the, the expectation level next season, if Charlton are in League One, is going to be automatic promotion. And obviously, it's a lot harder to actually achieve that and then to just expect it. But I do think that is what the expectation is going to be if Charlton are a League One side. It feels to me, and it makes, it makes a lot of sense, as you said, considering the way the recruitment was done for this team so late with a very limited budget, at least until Thomas came in. It feels like the balance of this squad is a bit off where you don't quite necessarily have what you want in really any any area. I don't feel it quite has the experience necessary. I don't think it quite has sort of the young unpredictability that's necessary. I don't think it quite has the goals that are necessary. So it really does feel like Charlton, whatever they're trying to do this season, whatever they can do this season, it's fighting a little bit with one hand tying behind their back. And I think we saw it against Peterborough. And I even think we saw it against Crew, where I don't feel the players didn't give their all. I think even against Crew, where it wasn't a great performance, it was very flat. I think the players tried. I'm not, I, I don't feel that they weren't going out there and trying to win and trying to give their all. I think they, the, 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 balance of the squad is just a little bit off there are key players missing in key positions key profiles of players players that aren't even at the club that are missing and ultimately you know we saw a Peterborough team that has a striker who's scored 29 league one goals an attacking midfielder who scored 15 a winger who scored 10 as well as a defense that was able to virtually completely shut down Charlton so we're seeing they're kind of a full team a complete team and Charlton just they might end up having one or too many holes in their squad to get the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I think in terms of, in terms of effort levels, I, I think it's the effort levels that produced last night's performance. Unfortunately, I think we've given so much in the last month. You know uh, that that we just hit a brick wall last night. You know, and it's 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 really simple for us sitting in stands to go. This doesn't look great. You know, the players do not come out that tunnel in the first minute. Wanted to give all the fans and themselves, uh, you know, they don't want to put themselves in a position where they're criticised or have a poor performance. And it's certainly, definitely, no one should ever be levelling at this team it's a lack of effort because that's not true. You know, that, that there is that there is a real effort amongst them. And they've done incredibly well, actually, over the last month to, to, to put themselves in a position where they are. But unfortunately, we've got to a point where we're on the edge of our seats. So every game, we're just desperate for the team to do well and win. And then Peterborough, I didn't even come away disappointed. I drove home thinking, do you know what? They really gave that a go second half. Mm. They were unlucky not to get the goal. Last night was disappointing for a couple of reasons. Um, we just didn't pressurise. We just didn't go toe-to-toe with Crew Alexandra. And that's disappointing for me. Forget all the other stuff. We didn't go toe-to-toe. And so when you, when you don't go toe-to-toe, but you've seen them go toe-to-toe on five, six, seven or eight previous occasions, it's not, it's not that you sit here and criticise and say there's a lack of, no lack of effort. You just have to go outside the box and go, there's a reason for that performance last night. They were all in the same boat. They mm. were all struggling to get tight. They were all struggling to, to get close to their opponent. They were struggling to technically make a decent pass on, on several occasions. They were coming onto balls, one touch, two touch not finding the target. Mm. So collectively, when the whole group looks like that, 
it's to me it's quite simple they just hit a physical brick wall last night now the only way like i i, I often sort of look at games like that and go okay if nigel rewound to saturday night does he do anything different last night now now he knows how the performance went would he change and i i think he might change i think he might go two up front with a mm. bit more pace and try and shut that back four down before it gets going. Because once you let them start playing, you're chasing the ball a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing worse in football than chasing the ball. Just constantly looking at a side. And sometimes they overplay and it's 10 passes, 15 passes, and they've not advanced, but you're still moving. You're still moving your position around. And I think that was like the worst team we could have played last night in terms of how we felt physically. Mm. Um, you know, we, we needed to be on top of our game physically actually to shut them down, to impose ourselves on them. And we just couldn't. We just couldn't. So in some respects, you've got to give the team credit for finding itself 1-0 up and 2-1 up. Yeah. The, I think it was the lateness of the goal, Benji, that hurt everyone so much. I think everybody's accepted that the performance wasn't quite where it's been and that it's very disappointing. We've, we've only come away with a point. But it's the lateness of, goal, of the goal that I think has punched everybody in the in the stomach and, and it's why we felt like last night was almost like a loss I think mm, you know when, when we sat down after the game and went back to the studio we all sat there Greg myself and Terry and it was like it's like we lost 4-0 you know that's yeah. how it felt last night and we have to get over that because we've got a tough game Saturday mm. one which we really need to try and you know get the three points from and, and the players will be the same I, I think he's probably had a win today calling down and they'll probably win tomorrow and they'll be straight back on that fixated on Atkinson mm-hmm. and the best way we can get three points. Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to, to sort of dwell too much on the disappointment because the games are coming thick and fast and you don't want the players feeling nervous or feeling like they're messing up when they go and play their next game against Atkinson Stanley. You want to try to keep as much of the confidence as possible. And I think, you know, last night there's, there's something quite important and something quite big about winning a game at this stage of the season when you're not at your best. And winning a game when you've actually played quite poorly, I think that does a lot for a team's confidence and for a team's feeling of, you know what, we're just going to keep on winning. So that really felt like a sucker punch because it would have just been such a big two extra points for the table. And because, you know, it was a performance where they didn't play their best, but they still were within one clearance of winning. So, yeah, I think it's, it's hard not to be very disappointed by that. But as you said, they have to get over it quickly. It's the only way to keep this season alive is to get over this, this, this disappointment quickly. And I think, you know, hit, they, they did look tired last night. And I think someone that really personified that was, was Jake Forster Kasky, who has been, you know, probably going to be Charlton's player of the season. He's been fantastic throughout the year. He's pretty much been consistently good in every single game, but he did look tired last night. And he looked like he wasn't playing with the same level of energy. That's so important to his game. And that does kind of bring me on to my next topic, which is that Andrew Shinney has been a regular for most of the season, almost the entire year. He's played 27 times in League One. He was a consistent starter under Lee Bowyer whenever he was fit. But now he's almost entirely disappeared. He hasn't even made the match day squad for the last two games. It, 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 it's an interesting one because on, on the one hand, he's, he's out of Charlton contract in the summer. So perhaps he's trying to give minutes to players who will be playing there next season. But at the same time, you do feel, especially with Forster Kasky tiring, with the team not looking at their very best struggling to get control of the ball. You do feel there might be a place for Shinny, but it doesn't, doesn't necessarily seem like it's happening. Yeah, I mean, I like Shinny. 
you know, so you're talking to somebody that thinks he's a decent player, particularly in League One. But, you know, you said, you mentioned he's out of contract, but there's a lot of players out of contract, Benji. We had two wide players last night that will go back to their parent clubs in, in four games. I thought Martson, you know, I know he's been out injured, but, you know, I thought that was a real disappointing performance from Martson. You know, I wanted him to come in and, really show us what he can do. He's looked quite bright, hasn't he, in that forward right position. It just didn't happen for him last night. But yeah, I, I have to tend to agree. And, and unfortunately, as much as I'd love to give you the right answer here, you'd have to ask Nigel this one because it happens. Mm. Managers come, managers go. And as much as it shuts the door on Shinny, it opens the door for others. You know, Gilby's played every game. It happens. You know, manager comes in, he looks at the training, he has his way of playing and he, he identifies with the players that are training well and he looks with his own eyes and says, I want him there. I want Perrington at left back. I want Matthews at right back. You know, Gunter hasn't played, mm. you know, hasn't got on the pitch. And you sit there and you have to accept it as a player because, let's be honest with you, a manager has a very short space of time in modern day football to get things right. Now, although it's a bit of a, uh, you know, it's not a free hit as such, but certainly, Nigel coming in now, if we don't get up or we don't get promoted, we don't make the playoffs, everybody will have a reason why. There's a real simple reason why. Mm. But if by Christmas we're sitting ninth, it, 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 won't, be, it won't be the players that lose their jobs. It won't be the players that lose their jobs. So I, don't, I do sympathise with players when they're out of the team and I do sympathise when the situation changes. But the pressure a manager's under is immense. It is so immense. I can't even begin to tell you how horrible it is at times. And they're horrible decisions to make when you have a squad of players and you get to like the players as well. You get to, you get to know them personally. They come in trading, they're bright as a button and actually sit down on that, whatever decision day is. You know, it could be a Thursday, it could be Friday and you go, I'm actually not going to play him. Yeah. And you have to tell him and you have to give him a reason. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of, of management that's not very nice to do. You know, releasing players at the end of the year is, is horrible. But I can't give you the reasons why, because I don't know what Nigel Atkins wants out of his central midfielders. But I, I do like, <laughs> yeah, I do like him. And I don't, I'm not quite sure why he's being left out of the squad mm. completely. That's the thing I would ask. Yeah. Not that he's not starting, but why is he getting left out of the squad completely? Because I thought it, he could have affected the game last night. You could have taken Watson off, put Forster Casket at the bottom and put him in front. Mm. You know, you could have put Shinny in front and had Shinny and Gilby sort of taking turns to go beyond. Shinny gets on the ball and he's unlocking for Washington. He's unlocking for Chucks on the left. But listen, it's it's... It's easy for me because there's no pressure on me. I haven't got to make those decisions. They don't affect my career. So you have to understand when you're a manager, you have things in your head and, and you have to stick with them. And if you believe that you've got the right players in the team at that time, you, that's your focus. But I do feel sorry for Shinny. I think he's got a little bit to offer. You know, but again, everybody says, you know, he's good at a diamond. He's good in the three. You know, we, we could accommodate him. But uh, uh, yeah, that's a hard one. That one because I, yeah. I like I said, I I quite like him as a player. Yeah. I think he's got particularly going forward in possession. I think he's got a little bit to offer. Yeah. 
Mm, I, and I, I knew it would be a, a tough question because we've spoken about Shinny before and I know you're a fan. Um, it, it is interesting, particularly considering that Shinny, you know, so many of assists has been crosses or balls onto Stockley's head. And with Stockley being such a focal point of this attack, you would think that, that, that there is, you know, merit to having Shinny being able to play alongside him. It, it seems to me that Adkins really likes for his center midfielders to be sort of as athletic and as mobile as possible, able, able to go all over the pitch, at least the two midfielders that are playing ahead of the defensive midfielder. And obviously, Alex Gilby is someone who does that. At his best, he's very energetic. He constantly wants to be making those forward run, runs beyond the striker. Jake Forster-Kasky, we know all about how mobile he is and how much ground he just covers and how he can influence the game all over the pitch. And Shinny is a, he's a little bit of a unicorn in some ways in, in, in modern football, I feel, because he's someone who wants to get on the ball quite deep and he wants to dictate the game by passing. And he's not necessarily that good when it comes to defending in, in, that, in that role. I don't think he's bad at defending, but he's, it's not his specialty like it is for Prattley or even Watson. And he's not necessarily that much of a sprinter where he's going to be making those kinds of Gilby-esque runs. So I do think potentially Adkins just doesn't see a role for him. But it does, yeah. as you said, the strange thing for me is that there isn't even a place for him on the bench because even final 15 minutes when you need a goalie, he's the kind of player that can unlock defence. Yeah, that, that was my point just a moment ago, is that you, you know, you don't have to start him if, if mm -hmm. you don't see him as a starter for whatever reason, and, and you know, the immediate reason that springs to mind is that he won't cover the ground as mm -hmm. well as other players can, but there are other players in the side that just don't offer you what he can offer you in possession, and it's kind of you know, that, that, that there is a summary of all football decisions you know, strengths and weaknesses of the team, strengths and, and weaknesses of the individual. What what the player is offering you as his strength, does that outweigh the weakness he's got? You know, and that's what a manager has to weigh up. So if I play Shinny, do I need to have two stat behind him? Do I go with two midfielders behind him and Shinny at the top of the point? You know, so all those things will come into the tactics of the team and the players that suit the tactics of the team. But like I said, why why couldn't you have taken Watson off with 25 minutes to go stuck? Because I, I like a couple of weeks ago, um, Nigel said I put Watson in because he, he gets on the ball more. He passes mm -hmm. the ball better. Okay, so when he's in a game like last night where he's not getting on the ball, he's not passing. I, I don't know what effect he was having on the game. Prattley's a better defensive midfielder. Okay. Now, Prattley might not be a better passer than Watson. Watson might be slightly better at passing the ball. But last night, our central midfielder, our deep central midfielder, predominantly defended the whole game mm -hmm. and didn't get on the ball. So, in that respect, having Shinny on the bench, you could have gone forced to casket the bottom, ditch the defensive side of it, because, we, you know, we, we, you know, of course, the casket do decent enough defensive, yeah. but he's not, he's not another man marker at a set piece like Prattley is. So, you might have ditched that and gone Shinny and Gilby in front. But these... Like I said, these are only things that we're talking about. Mm. Throw away flippant comments because we can. We can discuss stuff like this because that's what makes football so brilliant. That we all can have an opinion. We can all, you, you know, tell you what I would have done. Oh, I'd have done this and I'd have done that. But actually, the one person that has all the weight of the world on his shoulders is Nigel Atkins. And, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, it's him that loses his job. So he works with these guys day in, day out. And he has the reasons tucked away up here in his in his brain why he's doing what he's doing what we can do is 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 say that I, I didn't think last night's formation was working I didn't think there was no disrespect to Ben Watson he's been terrific over the last couple of weeks but as that game unfolded 
it was clear that his role wasn't really needed in that game. Mm. You know, we could have, we could have changed his role. But that's only what I see. Nigel might see something completely different. And like I say, he's on the sidelines. He's got to bear the grunt of, you know, Absolutely. the supporters and the owner. And <laughs> so, you know, it's only his opinion that counts. Yeah, we, we don't have jobs at risk. And also, we don't get to see the players. Absolutely not. In, no, in no. And, and it's so easy to be critical. It's so easy to point out people's faults, you know. Uh, we all, our industry, for instance, you know, people can't wait to tell you, you know, oh, well, you got that wrong and you did, oh, you said his name wrong and oh, you talk too much, which levelled at me quite a lot. But, you know, it is what it is. I don't, I, 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 I think it's easy to point out people's faults. And last night, I think there was quite a few things that didn't go in our way and, and, and energy levels were one, we just looked flat. Maybe the formation didn't quite work last night, which is why I think Nigel, if you rewound to Saturday and gave him a, you know, knowing what he, he knows now today, would he have approached that game slightly differently? You know, but unfortunately, you can't be one time. We 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 got out of last night's game. I think the best we could have got out of it, which was a point, <laughs> you know, and 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 so you move forward and, and and hope you can add add to that on Saturday. Yeah, and, and, and credit, because obviously we've, we've spoken quite a bit about potential decisions that we would have done differently. But to, to credit Nigel, he did change the system last night from a four at the back to more of a three or five at the back. And it was a bit of a risk at 1-1 at bringing on another center back because if it doesn't go well and if the game ends 1-1 and Charlton don't push in those final 15 minutes and go for a goal, then, you know, you've got fans all over the internet slating him for, for going too defensively and for not trying to go for the winner. But he did it in his eyes as an attacking move. He did it because he wanted to get more control of the game. And I do think it worked. Those final 15 minutes were much better than the preceding sort of 60 that came before it. So I think, you know, to, to, to give him credit there, he changed the system. Maybe I would have done it a few minutes earlier, but he did change the system and it did have an impact. And as you said, I don't think Charlton on the balance of the game deserved anything more than a point. It's just a shame that they had the three yes. points and then didn't all of a sudden. But um, before, before we move on, there is something, another sort of, as while we're discussing Nigel's decisions, there is another one I wanted to ask you about. He, we, we've gotten quite a few questions for now, quite a few weeks of people asking us about Jaden Stockley's role, because on the one hand, obviously Stockley has been extremely impressive. The way he's able to hold up the ball, the way he's able to bully defenders. He's scored seven goals. They're all headers, but he scored seven goals, which puts him third in the rankings of Charlton's top scorers. But it does feel at times that when Stockley's on the pitch, the team resorts to long balls to him maybe a bit too much. What, I was, was hoping to hear your, your thoughts on that, as are a number of Charlton fans who are hoping to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think obviously every, as everyone has their own personal slant on what mm. they like to see in a football team. Somebody like to see two up front, or a front three. And like I said, when you, when you talk about front threes, I said it last night, is the front three a genuine front three of attackers or is it two wide midfielders and a, and a, and a, and a centre forward? And last night we had a left back effectively front right. We had the left winger uh, front left and we had Stockley as a focal point down the centre. And he got, he got isolated because we didn't get tight enough across the pitch. We couldn't press high up. That's the one downside for me to Stockley is that when you're playing against a side that plays football and he's up there on his own, you might as well not press. 
because he just can't do the work. Or you've got to find a way to get those two wide boys in a position where we push the two fullbacks on as well, the two wide boys tuck up as well. And we almost play in between spaces and we leave the player that's the least dangerous in their team. The one player that you know isn't great when he's under pressure in possession. Well, you leave him and when it goes to him, we absolutely, that's our trigger and we're going to go bang and we're going to try and win the ball back, right? But that takes a great deal of organisation, a great deal of timing, a great deal of work on the training field, right? And it takes a great deal of energy, which we just didn't have last night. So you've got Stockley up there on his own. We couldn't really press when they played the ball out, right? Then their movement in front of the ball was, was really good, actually. And we kind of got caught. Who's taking him? I'm not taking him. I've got him. And, and that's why we saw all the spaces. And that's why we couldn't get tight. And that's why they played the way they did. Now, in terms of Stockley, we're one loss in 12. <laughs> He's scored seven goals. You know, and he does bully defenders. Now, the argument will always be the same. Uh, up and down the country every week, when you see a lone striker and it's not going well, people go, we need to do it up front. And sometimes you do. Sometimes that guy needs somebody to help him out. Mm. You know, um, in terms of when Washington was fit and flying, we played two up front, right? Yeah. Right, so the question mark for me would be, Washington's out injured. Chuck's, as far as I can see, is fit. So the question is about Stockley. Why do we play Stockley? And the question for me is, why don't we play Chucks alongside him? What's the issue there? Mm. Is there something with Chucks that's stopping Nigel starting him? Mm. You know, is there some kind the fitness of fitness issue or some kind of injury that he's carrying? Or so, Yeah. Mm. So my, my question mark isn't, why do we play Stockley on his own? It's, why, don't we, why are we afraid to put somebody with him? Now, is it because we don't think that we're organised enough to press? Does it, does, is it because we think that if we play two up front and our midfield four and our two central midfielders playing can't cover the ground, so we need a third midfielder? Mm. You know, and, and Nigel's answer last night, I, I, I can't remember who said it, but I've read it on the internet today. Could be Ed. Uh, let me have a little look. I can look in as we're going. Could be Rachel. But, you know, the, the, the point being that Nigel said, we look at opposition and then we pick our team accordingly, right? And it, he's probably sat there and gone, if we play a two-man midfield, it's going to get absolutely mm. overrun. And, that's the, and, that, and then the decision's made for him. You know, if you rewind back to the AFC Wimbledon game, I've said this quite a few times, the risk was, do we leave it as we are and let them overload our midfield, but our mm. two wide players are looking dangerous, or do we stop their midfield? And unfortunately for me, he went B, stop the midfield and I thought he should have just left the wide players to attack their fullbacks but again we go back to what I said before there's no pressure on me I'm not going to get slagged off because it's so simple sitting at home to say do that right but those are the decisions that are going on in game so you have you have two ways of, of you prepare for a game you study the analysis you set your team up and then it goes bang, whistle blows. And in that first 10 minutes, your brain is looking at everything. Coaches are looking at it. Managers are looking at it. How they set up, what they're doing. Mm. How have we reacted? Is everybody doing their job properly? And then as the game starts to settle after about five, 10 minutes, your brain's saying, right, tactically, do I need to change? Are we getting overrun? Da, da, da. And, and you have to make the decisions quite quickly. Now, now, for me, the answer would be, we were playing a two, I believe, when Washington was fit. Is that correct? 
Yeah, but then Washington got injured the first game. Right. So we haven't really gotten a, a window. Right. So, 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 again, I go back to that Chuck's not starting. You know, is there something in that that we're missing mm. that we don't know about? You know, I, I, again, we'll never find out. But, um, yeah, I, I, think in, I think in respects to, to why he was on his own up there last night is I just think they looked at the footage and think if we go mm. with a that four, Miller one side, Marks on the other, it's just going to get overrun. Mm. You know, that would probably see Watson out, wouldn't it? It would probably have to be Gilby and Force Tukaski. You've got no defensive midfielder in there. And and he, he probably just felt they were going to get overrun. Mm, and and Atkins actually after his after that very first game against Wimbledon because obviously that was not really his team that he picked it was the same team that Johnny Jackson had picked for the Bristol Rovers win a few days earlier but he said after that game that he felt it was much too open he felt that his team while they were good going forward and while they were able to create he felt they were giving away too much space um, defensively and too much space in their own half and too much space on the counter and so I do think he's a little bit afraid of going with two up front and leaving that midfield open which I, I get I think you know to, to, to talk about Stockley just a little bit I think he obviously can only do the best job that he can do and it's not he isn't picking himself the manager is picking him and once he's on the pitch he can only do what is his strengths and what his, what are what he's best at and that is bullying defenders it's winning the balls that come towards him but at the same time we saw against Plymouth that he can link up play and that he can pass the ball around when necessary and I think that at times when he's been isolated or when we haven't seen the best from Stockley and when that's sort of impacted the rest of the team and we haven't seen Charlton at their best it's been when they've struggled to get players alongside him it's been when they've struggled to get players in and around him so that he is taking the ball down and having to take three four five six touches before releasing it when he what he wants to do is he wants to take the ball down and immediately lay it off to someone else and then break into the box or then break forward or then become another option and he's not really been given the opportunity to do that in too many games which I think obviously it's a it's a big relief to everyone that Connor Washington is now back fit because that'll be a big boost for all because they do I think need what Connor Washington brings those runs down the channels the ability to break beyond Stockley but it'll be interesting to see if he plays Washington up front in a two if he tries to play him wide in a three which Bowyer did a couple of times because it does seem that that Adkins is a little bit tentative at least to open up the midfield and to only play two and you know I, I can get that because the two defensive midfielders whether it's Prattley or Watson I'm not sure either of them are mobile enough to play in a two and then if you don't have either of them you've suddenly got a pretty attack-minded midfield duo as opposed to having a, a, a defensive player in there. So I definitely can understand where his fears would lie in not playing too. It does seem like, to me, the only thing about Chucks is that unless you want him as a super sub, it seems like it has to be fitness because we've surely seen enough by now to show that Chucks is the kind of player that can break a game open on his own and can really cause damage. And I think it's just got to be fitness at this point. I can't think of any other reason why he wouldn't be starting. It, yeah, it, it, it has to be because he came on and looked mm. a physical threat. And, and actually that's exactly what I felt we needed against their back four. And again, it's all risk and reward. So if you play Chucks and he dominates the back four, you're taken away from what they're good at, which is building up from the back, movement in front of the ball, you know, mixing you up in terms of what, you know, where they're taking their positions, it's moving your players out of the position you want them in. And so by putting Chucks in and he starts to bully the back four, you know you can go to him and he's going to physically outgun the man he's up against. That changes their 
mentality. Mm. You change, you change how they attack the game, and 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 actually, it's all risk and reward. Because if you put Chucks on and he doesn't physically bully the back line, um, you've got two strikers on a midfield that you know is going to have big gaps in it for them to exploit, and it, and it doesn't work. So it's it, it, look, it's, it's all a bit of a game of chess, football. You know, and it's it's a look. It it it, it could be very very simple. You know, depending on how much you know about the game, it can be very, very complicated. Depending on how much you know about the game, and unfortunately, the more you know about it, the more complicated it becomes, and the more decisions you have to make. And that is the sad reality of it. But at the base of it all it is an element of risk and reward. How much are you willing to risk losing to get the victory? Um, and and things will play tricks on your brain. Things that happen in games, things that you see on a you know, on, on when you're watching your position in the analysis room, it'll play tricks on your brain. And people that train in front of your eyes will play tricks on your brain as a manager. He looks good this week, doesn't he? He looks like he's up for it. He gets a Saturday, nothing. Terrible. Mm. You know, all these things happen to managers. And they can't come out and go, well, he looked brilliant in training, but he was rubbish today. You can't do that. <laughs> you have to come out and be very diplomatic about everything. And you have to make sure that, you know, the, the criticisms that you may have are done in private. Um, you know, which which some managers don't do, as we saw <laughs> previously this season. But um, yeah, I I think in terms of you know at, at the base of it all, what what did his team do in terms of you know as a manager, he'll go back to his room and then he'll drive home and then he'll wake up today. Did his team do what he asked it to do? Mm. You know, that's 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 what you're looking for. You know, forget the energy levels, forget this, forget that. Did they apply themselves the way he wanted them to? Because there's a trust and honesty and respect that, that will be being gained as well. Mm. So that if we're in the championship, and there's a question asked about, you know, if we go up, will it hinder us? You know, it, it, building the championship is very, very difficult. Um, but my argument to all that is 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 that you need trust and respect and honesty from the players. You mm. gain that by what you deliver during the matches. Have you done what the managers asked you to do, right? And if we were to gain promotion, my, my argument about building in the championship would always be it's much harder, and I mean much much harder to get out of a league than it is to just stay in a league. Mm -hmm. So I would take the promotion by hook or by crook out of this league all day long. And I'd, I'd struggle for 12 months in the championship, hoping to stay in it whilst I'm building. And then once you stay in, bang, then you should be able to build. right? Yeah. But getting out of a league, there's always five or six teams every year that are very, very strong in every mm -hmm. league. But there's always a good 10 to 12 sides that are weak in the division above. That's how I see answering that question and and it's you know sometimes you have the best team in the league and you still won't get promoted because you'll get a crucial injury you'll get a run of results you'll get three players injured at the same time sicknesses sendings off there might be a fight in the dressing room but you know you've got a good side but it just doesn't click it's mm -hmm. so difficult to get promoted it really is and so I'd always take the promotion and survive in the league above and then build, you know, and, yeah. and and if we could find a way just to get up this year, it would be against all odds, I have to say. Yeah. It's been, a, it's you know, when you think about what's been chucked into the melting pot this season for not just Nigel, but for Lee as well, you know, and and, and hopefully moving forward, fingers crossed, the, 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 the best thing to happen 
is that we've got an owner who's come in who's just a breath of fresh air. You know, and I know he wants promotion quick. I know he wants to get up as quickly as he can for, for many reasons, for financial reasons, for kudos reasons. But, you know, from, from our perspective, from the player's perspective, from the manager's perspective, from fans' perspective, we've got an owner who looks like, you know, he really does care about the club. Yeah. And that's probably the biggest thing for me about this season. Yeah, is that absolutely. forget all the stuff on and on the pitch, forget maybe a draw against crew. The best thing that possibly could have happened is we've got rid of some right crooks. We've got rid of an owner before who didn't care. Then we've got rid of some crooks and we've got a fella in who absolutely looks like he's got the club's best mm. interests at heart. And, and sometimes you've just got to rewind a little bit, <laughs> relax. Uh, we all want promotion as supporters. All of us, but you know, I, I would take what's happened this year over all of that, mm. just just so that you know the club's on a sound footing, and and it's and it's safe for for however long Thomas Sangard is in charge. And and this summer, I mean, regardless of what division Charlton are in, it is going to be a summer where they can build for the first time in many years, and that I would think should be exciting for supporters, even if the club is still in League One, because it it's it's not been the case for a long time. They haven't had a summer where, firstly, they've been able to start the summer with relative calm and with without much sort of drama in the background. And then they haven't had a, a, a summer in a long time where they've actually been able to use the transfer window to really boost their team and really create a team that, that's capable of challenging for promotion this year and hopefully starting to build for, for, for the future going forward. So I definitely think you are right about that. Bef before we wrap up for the day, there's, there's a question from, from Tony on Twitter, which I think is a fun one. He, he asked if there's <laughs> any... Read this. Have you read this. So, so for our listeners, he asked if there's any training ground or training room bust-ups that you can share. He imagines that in a squad of 22 people, it can't be every single person getting along all the time, which I imagine is true. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen a few. <laughs> I've seen training ground bust-ups. I've seen dressing room bust-ups. And, and it's, it's big tone, I think. So it's Tony, totally, but big tone. Yes, it is big tone. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's more, do you know what? It, there's not as many as you think. I think there's probably been four in my entire career. Wow. So in, in terms of if you think about how many days you're together, um, situations can become quite fiery. You know, people, you feel like someone's let you down or someone's being a bit of an idiot. There's not as many as you think, but there's the obvious one with uh, with with Dean Kylie and Andy Todd. You know, that wasn't nice. I was I witnessed that one. Um, that wasn't very nice. You've got the very early days, I think, Maltz and David Campbell on the training ground. I think Maltz gave him a bit of a left hook. Uh, David White, God rest his soul. Um, and Brendan O'Connell, who was a midfielder we signed from Barnsley. Brendan gave David a right hook. You know, that one was naughty because that was in the dressing room. After. It was either at half-time or the end of the game. I can't remember, wow. but it was a bit... Yeah, it was a bit naughty. Yeah, and uh, oh, no, it wasn't a bit naughty, actually. I shouldn't say that because... Because Whitey slapped him in the face in the middle of the pitch. So we all kind of walked down the tunnel thinking, and Brendan was silent, you know, didn't look at anyone, didn't say anything. And by the time we got back to the dressing room, he, yeah, he'd just given him a right up. And um, so it goes on, Benji. And, and, and what I would say is, if you think about the dynamics of a dressing room, it's like me with actors and films. I watch a film and think, oh, I bet they had the best time putting that together. Cracking. And then you read that the, 
the two leads couldn't stand each other. Couldn't, couldn't even, you know, basically did the scene together and then disappeared. Couldn't stay on the, you know, in the lot. And the dressing was a little bit like that in as much as I think everybody thinks you all get on. And you can't all get on because you, you all like different things. Some have families, some like to go out, some, you know, love sports, some don't in terms of going golf, some hate golf, some like to have a drink down the pub, some don't. And so you have all these different personalities, all these different characters. And, you, you know, you go in and it's, it's a working environment. Mm. You know, first and foremost, you go in to work hard and you go in to be successful or you try, <coughs> excuse me, or you try and become successful. But actually, there's always little groups that, you know, it's not that you don't get on, it's just that you wouldn't choose to spend time with that person because you're just different characters. Mm-hmm. You just see the world differently. You know, you live your life differently. You'll have flash characters. You'll have boring characters, you know. So, and, and, and by and large, everybody gets on because it's football and you need to get on because to be successful, you, you do have to want the best for the person next to you. That is one key ingredient to a successful squad is that whether you're playing or not, you've got to want the best for the ones that are playing. It's not their fault you're not playing. You know, they don't pick the side. But you've got to be very humble about that. You know, because even there's sometimes players are playing in front of you and you don't think they're as good as you. You don't think they're performing good. And you've just got to take it on the chin. Mm. And that if that person in front of you that's not playing very well or is, or you don't think is good at you, is being a bit flash about being in the team or giving you a bit of stick, you've got to bite your lip. You know, it's tough. It is tough. It can be it can be hard work at times, but you know deep down that to be successful, you have got to want the best for other people. Mm. And um, within that, there are other people that don't don't view it like that at all. Mm. If I'm not playing, I'm not going to stay. Yeah, if you don't play me every week, I'm off. Not having it, you know. So it's it's a very difficult job for a manager to. Um, man manage all the there's not necessarily lots of egos but all the characters I want to say because not everybody's got an ego but all the characters within a squad and you have to understand who needs the arm around the shoulder most weeks and who doesn't you know who needs an extra day off I used to Curves used to be very good and Keith Peacock used to be very good and recognise when I was struggling a little bit with my knee you know and they go listen we're on an AstroTurf today training's on an AstroTurf have a day in the gym you know go for a swim you know, another thing, we just go out on bars and have a swim, you know, and that's good man management because they know the AstroTurf is going to make my knee blow up, mm-hmm. detrimental to, to me on the Saturday. So, you know, and all those things come into play, looking after players, you know, but not not letting them get away with anything. If they step out of line, bang, you're hitting them with a bit of discipline. Um, yeah, but like I said, the answer to the question is uh, those are the four that I remember. I'm sure there was one or two other things. I mean, there's lots of arguments. Mm. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> there are lots and lots of arguments. Like I said, you know, back in back when I was playing, you could self-police on the pitch a little bit. You know, you could tell somebody they weren't doing their job properly and you could tell them quite forcefully. And that would still go on in the dressing room half time. It might go on after the game, but it would never go beyond that. Okay. Because that, you know, football and private life are two different things. So if you do, if you have a go at somebody on the pitch, that can't roll over onto the coach and into private life. It just can't. It's, it's that's not acceptable. But you should be able to tell your mate he's let you down, or he's let the team down, or he's not doing his job properly, or he's not picked up the man he should be, or he's switched off, and you should be able to tell him that. Mm. Um, 
uh, you, you know, but yeah, that, sometimes it does spill over. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I noticed you mentioned you mentioned those bust ups. You didn't mention yourself being involved. Were there you weren't involved in any at any point? Never. No. Um. Um. Pr- pr- uh, my all my talking was done on the pitch, Benji. Okay. I never. I never even got close to being that upset with somebody that I would. I would want to fight. Mm. Um, I, I don't think I've ever really, as an adult, I've had a couple of fights at school. I don't think as an adult I've ever thrown a punch in anger at another human being. I wouldn't want to, to be honest. But no, I always, it's a bit like criticism in life, isn't it? People deal with it in different ways. I don't want to spend too much time and energy being angry and I don't want to spend too much time and energy worrying about what other people think of me too much you know I am what I am I deliver what I deliver and and I put one foot in front of the other and breathe in breathe out and I try <laughs> I try and keep it as simple as possible if I'm honest well, and not it's... and not get angry and not get aggressive because I think it's um yeah I, ju- I just think it's who wants to live a life yeah. being angry and aggressive all the time it's not for me yeah, it seems to me like the right way to live, but unfortunately, it's denied us potentially a great story. But I think no, I, I honestly, I honestly, <laughs> I honestly, I tell, I tell you, the most I ever did, Benzi, I can tell you, the most I ever did was um, if someone would, uh, had upset me, I would, I would, I would, I mean, I have, I have definitely cleaned out one or two players in training on purpose, left a bit on them to see what comes back. Uh, and both times, uh, one was on a, a, a young player who I thought was being a bit flash in training, uh, was was making a bit of a mockery of a senior player, and I just cleaned him out, and uh, nothing come back. But it, it's never turned into a fight. It's just been an overzealous challenge that the player knows. He, you know, what's that all about? Uh, that's about the worst I've ever done. Yeah, a, a bit of a naughty challenge on the training field. <laughs> well, that. That does sound fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, 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 like, we like you for your, for your sensibility and for your kindness, Brownie. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I'll... I, yeah, I, 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 like I said, I'm, you know, there's, there's a couple of people in this world that get under my skin and I'm married to one and my dad's <laughs> the other. <laughs> no one else really bothers me that much never, never cleaned either of them out in training though no no i did elbow i did elbow the wife once uh fast asleep yeah i was clearing it like obviously trying to defend and clear a corner and i just boof and elbowed her straight in the face yeah Defending that's, wasn't on purpose. i was fast asleep benji how do i know what's going on that's why you played more than 240 times for Charlton because you're practicing your game at all hours even if you're asleep um, yeah. before, before we wrap up we got to do a this week in Brownie's career I, I'm not 100% confident you'll remember this one but it was the best one that I could find but on this week in the 1995-96 season let me just check and make sure yep 1995-96 you only won one of the final uh, eight games of the season, which obviously isn't ideal. Got into the playoffs. Nice, sound, sounds about right for us. <laughs> yes, as, as we've <laughs> talked about the slow finishes before. But actually, won only, you won only one of the last nine games of the season. But on this week, in that season, you beat Port Vale 3-1 away. Any, any memories of that? No, of course not. 95-96, we beat Port Vale 3-1. All I know about Port Vale was it was the biggest pitch 
in the league by some distance. Um, was it Rudge? For some reason, Rudge rings a bell as a manager. And he had two really good wide players. I mean, really good. When they were flying Port Vale, two really good wide players. And it was the biggest pitch to play on. And he used to isolate the wide player with a fullback. That was the whole game plan, was to separate and mm. try and get the wide players 1v1 on this really wide pitch. And I just remember it being enormous. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I scored against Port Vale at home, I think. That, now, if you'd asked me that, unfortunately, ah. it probably wasn't in, in April, which is <laughs> no good to you at all when you're going back <laughs> on this day in. But I scored against Port Vale at home. Yeah, I do not rate. Uh, can you tell me the goal scorers? No, have you got I that? Can. Yes, it was. It ended three-one. The goal scorers yep. were Stuart Ballmer, Bradley, no, Adam, and Sean o- and Sean Newton. Stuart Ballmer scored, did he? Okay, he did. Now, why can't I remember that? He didn't well, score, many. He did, at least according to the internet. I found no other information about this game other Bradley than Bradley Allen. Now, now, Bra- yeah. Bra- Okay, I mean Bradley Allen scored, Sean Newton scored a few, and and Stuart Barmer scoring should should stick out in the memory banks. But unfortunately, Benji, as you are now becoming all too accustomed, <laughs> I have no recollection of that game. <laughs> you had such a good record for the first few weeks where you'd remembered all of them in such good detail. Admittedly, the moments are getting more and more sort of obscure as I search for ones to use. But if any of our listeners can remember that game. 3-1 win away at Port Vale. The only win in the final nine nine games of the season as Charlton ended up making the playoffs before losing to Crystal Palace. We won't talk about that. But as Charlton ended up making Oh, the I remember that. I remember losing to Palace in the playoffs. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I do. I do. I, I remember losing to Palace in the playoffs. But we only won one of the last nine games. We made the playoffs. Yeah. We, we must have been in a great position then leading into the last nine games. Quite a quite a good record leading into it. You ended up making the playoffs by two points with seventy-one points, um, which seventy-one. I don't think that's going to be enough this season. No, that's what I'm saying. That's a low. That's a low scoring season yeah. in terms of making playoffs. I mean, we come we come fourth with eighty-eight in nineteen ninety-eight, and that would have been enough to get you up for the previous ten seasons or something. Yeah. You know, and we came fourth. So it just goes to show, doesn't it? But no, I, I'm I'm ever so sorry, Benji. I've let you down again. <laughs> it's okay. I have very low expectations of this one. <laughs> but listeners, we're counting on you. Someone tell us about this game because it's a little bit before my time, and Brownie's memory is not quite getting there. But that's okay. Hopefully, we'll 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 try again next week, and we'll hope that next week's memory can maybe be a little bit more exciting. It's it's truly it's not your fault. It's that I'm struggling to find games that are that exciting. But I'm 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 gonna look next week, and and hopefully we'll find something. Sadly, folks, Charlton fans, that's all we have time for today. This has been another episode of Brownie and Benji. Listen, drop any comments, drop any questions. Sorry if we couldn't get to your question this week. Throw it again next week and we'll try We'll try to discuss it. Unfortunately, we're getting a lot of good questions. This week especially, we had a lot of good ones, so we couldn't get to all of them. But thank you again for listening. This has been Benji and Brownie bringing you Brownie and Benji. Till next time. <laughs>